Hello everyone, I'm Deborah Jermaine Augustine, New Narrative's Membership Engagement Manager. Let me ask you this, do politicians and rulers have anything to worry about when it comes to the influence of art in politics? This year alone, Fami Reza, a Malaysian political graphic designer and activist, has been questioned by the police five times for publishing his work on social media. Last month in May, it was for his satire piece depicting Malaysia's health minister in a missing persons poster. The month before that, it was for allegedly insulting the Queen with a Spotify playlist. On this episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches, I speak to Sharon Chin, a Malaysian artist, about her thoughts on protest art and whether political satire is an effective tool when it comes to challenging people in power. But before that, if you enjoy what we're doing, please support our work by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com join. We are currently running a fundraising campaign and would really appreciate your support. Memberships start at just 52 US dollars a year. That's just one US dollar a week. Or you can donate at newnarrative.com donate. And check out our website at newnarrative.com for more stories from Southeast Asia. And now, here's the interview. Hello, Sharon, and thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. How are you? Hey, Deborah. Um, yeah, I'm okay. I'm good and uh, happy to be here. Great. So part of this week's episode was inspired by the police questioning a Malaysian political graphic designer for some of his satire pieces recently about COVID-19 and politician. What's your response to his arrest? Uh, you're talking about uh, Fami, Fami Reza, right? Yes, Fami Reza. Yeah, it was an ex- it was exciting, wasn't it? It was it was like uh, it was so it was almost um, cinematic. Like uh, there was this uh, tension, and then there was this whole narrative arc. So I was following along uh, on Twitter and a little bit on Facebook, and it's sort of uh, you can't look away. So that was. I don't know. I, I, I mean, this isn't the first time Fami's been arrested. And uh, I mean, aside from the injustice of it and the power abuse, uh, the scary power of the state coming down on one individual, uh, was interested in the, in the kind of media effects, I guess. I mean, um, like I said, this isn't the first time that this has happened. So there's a... For me, I'm interested in the patterns of things, um, how they iterate, and uh, what we can learn from them, I guess. How are we moving forward, or are we sort of just staying in the same place, psychically, politically, <laughs> artistically? Yeah, so, so those are some of the thoughts that were swirling around as events unfolded. Of course, there's also a very real concern for a friend. Um, and uh, that part is, I mean, that's, I don't know, that's not really rational, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, you said that this is something that's happened before. Um, Fami Reza is known for his political work. I mean, I, all his work is political, very overtly so. And you said that you were interested in the patterns emerging. Did you notice anything different about this time that he was arrested in perhaps the reception of it on social media or in the mainstream media? What were some of the things you noticed? I think this uh, sort of followed the script of the previous uh, 
previous times, honestly. Um, I do think the subject of the work that got him arrested, now that's, that's on a slightly different level because he's addressing the royalty. And it's also in response to um, the royalty's social media postings. So that's very interesting because uh, it's happening on that. It, in a way, they're both on the same social media platforms that we are on as well. So um, what was interesting to me is this aspect of uh, celebritydom and its relationship to social media and politics and activism and the state. I honestly don't think uh, the state or anyone to do with the state should be on social media. I think they have official channels and they also have a lot of power. So social media is for us. So you should stay off, they should stay off social media, but you know, that's... <laughs> um, when you have a, a mouthpiece uh, with which to uh, say what you want, uh, I don't think anyone's going to give that up, whether you're a citizen or the king and queen. Yeah, so as you said, social media, especially in Malaysia, is one of the few platforms that ordinary citizens have to express their opinions and it really has opened up a space in Malaysia that didn't previously exist, especially in a context where Malaysians don't have a free press. And very recently, our, our press freedom has really taken a nosedive um, in, during the pandemic. What do you think the aim of satire should be in, in general and also in, in this context of um, a place in a country where we don't have a lot of freedom of speech and the freedom of the press? Actually, I, I think it's about like uh, satire. The role of satire, I guess, is to, I mean, it's to be annoying. <laughs> it's to just be a like annoying thorn in the sides of those who have power over us. In this case, it's politicians, it's the state, it's the police, um, royalty. Uh, so that's what I think its role is. Um, in terms of freedom of speech and expression, uh, you, I, well, I find like, I mean, like you're, you're, I'm not on Twitter anymore because my mental health can't take it. It's, uh, it's messed with my cognition so much. My brain is just turned a mush on Twitter. So <laughs> I'm not on Twitter anymore. Um, but actually people say a lot of, a lot of shit, a lot of stuff on Twitter. Uh, so there, there is, there is this kind of uh, vitality, I suppose, on there. I mean, you could call it a kind of freedom. Um, it's about the when you do say things, then uh, what might happen. So it's about the apparatuses of the state, the laws that you know. There, there's a myriad of laws that can be utilized by the state. So you think of them as tools, you know, there are laws against the media, there are laws against uh, digital platforms, there are laws against individuals. And uh, I think it's important, I mean, if we're going to exercise our free speech, then we should also be aware of those laws because that's the real enemy. And uh, that kind of change, like dismantling of those kind of laws, 
that is a generational struggle. That's a collective struggle. Uh, I don't think a poster or two is going to do it, <laughs> uh, but they certainly add to this long struggle and very serious one for collective freedom. And do you feel like satire in particular is more vital than ever in our current conditions of a pandemic and in Malaysia, particularly a post-coup Malaysia? Uh, I, I don't, actually. I mean, I think, I think uh, diverse... <laughs> I mean, not satire in particular, because that that has... I mean, there's also different kinds of satire. Uh, you know, there's the, the Jonathan Swift kind where you write a screed or a pamphlet, uh, you know, almost using almost like sci-fi scenarios and fantasy. Like, all these are, are satire as well. Uh, and we're not really seeing a lot of those like I remember Shannon Ahmad's book Shit, like back in the Mahathir era. That's satire. So I, I guess I'm I'm interested in a variety, a diversity of uh, satirical responses to the reality we're in, um, and I think that kind of vitality is very important. So it's more about the the diversity of expressions. Um, I don't think that the platforms that we're all on, especially now during the pandemic, I mean, we're, we really are glued to our screens. Now, this platform, these platforms have their biases and they are biased towards um, certain kind of messages, which are uh, um, graphic, they're very visual, they're very effective so they sort of uh, um, they, they when you look at them you, you immediately get the spike of satisfaction about like yeah they're stupid you know uh, and uh, it's it's quite instantaneous and uh, passes very quickly as well so there's that thing about attention span you know and there's always another issue. There's always another thing, uh, there's always another politician to make fun of. Uh, yeah, so it can quickly become the air that we are breathing, you know? And uh, it, it, that, it feels like deja vu, actually. Like, I wake up, this is another day, and there'll be another funny Reza poster, and there'll be another idiot saying stupid things and doing stupid things. What else is there beyond that? Yeah, what, what are the possibilities? Uh, do we have? That's what I'm interested in. And I definitely want to talk about that. Um, but first, maybe we could talk about some of your work. And speaking of diversity, you have worked in a variety of mediums yourself. You have worked, you have just mentioned to me before we started this interview that you're working on a film production um, and you've worked in performance art and you've worked in journalism and painting and you also write. Career-wise, what would you identify yourself as primarily? Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've, gotten, I've gotten this question uh, a few times uh, over the years. I still, I mean, it, um, <laughs> I, I, I think of it in terms of I have a pedigree and my pedigree stays visual artist uh, because that's what I studied in university. Um, I went to art school 
had to unlearn a lot of that stuff I learned in art school. But I, I got the language, the language of art from there. Uh, and uh, fine art especially has become a lot about language. Yeah, so that's what I got in art school. But I mean, that's my pedigree. But I, I as you described, like I'm a bit more of a mongrel, really. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I would call myself a, an artist. I also situate myself in place. So I'm a Malaysian artist. Um, lately, I've been thinking more, myself more and more as a Podixon artist, Negeri Sembilan artist. That's my town, that's my state. Um, I don't know the names for this place before those names and uh, I'd like to find out what they are so then I can say I'm that artist of this place, this land, this people. Yeah, tell us more about the work you do and, and where you draw inspiration from. Uh, it's changed a bit over the years, I guess. Uh, I've been doing this for about 15 years now and uh, I actually moved to Podixon, which is a small town, about one and a half hours uh, drive from Kuala Lumpur, the capital city. And uh, I, I grew up a city girl, so I grew up in Petaling Jaya. Uh, so my move here 10 years ago basically changed my life and changed my art. Um, and uh, I, I guess, my work has always come from, it's, it's a response. It's a response to what's going on uh, politically, um, but also directly. I guess, you know, there's a few different realities that we are inhabiting. And uh, we, we, we inhabit like the social sphere, the political one, that's mostly through the news. I mean, at one point I realized that I was getting a lot of input as in, I. I was responding a lot to things that I see in the media. So I noticed that, yeah, that was about, that, that, was, that was maybe 10, yeah, like a little, a little bit after I, I moved here to Bodhis and I, because I moved away from the center, I moved away from the, the capital, but the concentration of wealth and influence and resources there. So I was able to see that, oh, you know, my lens, or my consensus reality was was being formed by by media, lots of media that I was consuming online, and uh, was not satisfied, I guess, uh, with the work that was coming out from that, because I, I felt that there's 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 things that are missing about bigger picture, bigger patterns, um, bigger identities. Yeah. So now I would say my work responds to the big and the small and particularly through observation, direct observation and how that plugs into the bigger stories that are being told. Yeah, not just through the media, but through art. Like art's a kind of media too, you know, literature. That's how culture's created, I guess. And uh, I do lots of different things because I think that, I mean, in my observation of the pattern, I guess, and it comes from ecology as well. From from ecology, what I what I observe is uh, the, the the there's a kind of quality 
or characteristic about this place or this land. And we are from this place and this land, and it's it's uh, it's very diverse, you see. Um, so when I say diverse, I mean there's a lot going on at the same time. So there's a lot of interaction between species. So even just give like a, a, a you know a few square foot of land, there's just so much interaction that's going on there and uh, birds are dropping seeds all the time and things are growing and things are dying. So from that, I mean, I, I, I take an, an example from that, you know, um, that I think what we need to be more in tune with this characteristic that I've observed uh, is diversity. So it's really mixing things up in ourselves uh, with each other like, like learning to be okay with that um, because that's, we need to find each other basically so that we're not, uh, we don't rely on top down to manage the relationships between us, you know? So that's, that's the approach that, that's a bigger systems approach, I guess, to, to me doing what I do, yeah. So I'm doing the, the activist art, I'm doing the protest art, I'm also doing the gallery art, uh, and uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of different things, yeah. And, you know, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit before, we are going through a, a pandemic, and Malaysia, like many parts of the world, has been in and out of lockdown since last year because of the pandemic. Can you tell us about some of the projects you've worked on during this time? And has creating in the midst of a pandemic been different than your usual art practice? Mm, yeah. Uh, so during lockdown last year, uh, has, it, has it only been a year? Yes, <laughs> time does not really exist anymore for any of us, or linear time anyway. Um, I started working a lot with printmaking because uh, I could do that at home. I have a printing press and uh, I was making small prints um, of different, different subjects, I guess. I, I love the medium of print because it's handmade, but uh, you can create multiples of it. So the quality of its handmadeness, I think goes against the flattening of the digital space. Uh, I find, like everyone else, uh, I was glued to social media, glued to my screens and computer, and uh, it's damaging. I don't know, I'm damaged. My communication skills are, are, are not, uh, they were not great to begin with, but uh, now they're, they're, they're really bad. And uh, that, that haptic quality of making something with my hands and thinking through this making, was really important in the pandemic. So uh, I'm currently showing some little prints of soil bacteria that I made last year. So they're, uh, they're installed in a gallery in uh, Hinbas Depot in Georgetown, Penang, as part of a printmaking show called Rekka Cetakan. Um, and uh, I couldn't be there, so I had to send these prints over to be installed by other people. And that's also a new experience for me because uh, I, <laughs> I, like, I like things to be the way that 
uh, I want them uh, in terms of how my work looks in a space that's quite important. But in this case, like that, that's a new thing as well, letting go, um, finding, finding the meaning of uh, resilience. So what is it that makes a work resilient when you can't control the, um, the conditions by which uh, this work is going to be shown because of the pandemic? So uh, how do you design the work or change your thinking about the work so that it's able to, the, the primary messages are able to come through uh, um, even though the, you might have to adapt to the conditions, you know? Um, so that's one thing, that's one way the pandemic has changed uh, how I work and how I think. So these uh, bacteria prints, I told Ivan and Wanida, the organizers of the exhibition, uh, I want them scattered all over the space around the other works. Um, and uh, they did a great job. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. Yeah. And this idea of uh, working, working small, um, so literally small with these soil bacteria prints, but also um, small in terms of local from where I am. But local doesn't mean that it's provincial. I mean, provincial in the pejorative sense, you know, because provinces are 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 sort of uh, I don't know when I when I say like province, it reminds me of uh, decentralization. You know, it's like oh, out in the provinces, uh, they have their own they have their own stuff going on. Yeah. So sorry, that was a <laughs> that was. I digress there. Um, but yeah, about, about the local and, and the small, um, it has a lot to say to the mainstream, I guess. The, the patterns that are happening at the local level, uh, I hope can influence the patterns at the larger level, at the national levels. Um, I think it's this kind of thinking that we really need because as we've seen with um, the, the response, like Malaysia's response to the pandemic, top-down does not work. It doesn't work in a, as diverse a land and people as ours. It just doesn't. This is not ideological. For me, it's ecological. It's almost science, it's observation-based. It's not going to work uh, unless you use a lot of uh, authoritarian power. You come down hard in order to manage uh, the, the diversity, which is actually our strength. So if you kill that diversity, you're basically, you're basically killing off the thing that makes us resilient as a people. You don't be able to have a strong immune response to the pandemic and to any kind of struggles. Climate change, that struggle's coming. It's already here, actually. It's just that a lot of us haven't felt the sharp end of that stick, but there's a lot of people who already are, and we need to find each other. We, we really need to formulate stronger collective responses to these crises. As you said, you know, activism has been part of your art for a long time, and I'm interested in what you're saying about how art can influence the national, how focusing on these smaller issues and smaller things can maybe 
affect the bigger narrative that we have. And, you know, just to mention some of the work that you've worked on, you know, or perhaps take a look back at what you've worked on in the past. You've made banner and placards for the Bursay 5.0 protests for free and fair elections. Your 2014 pieces about the Sedition Act in Malaysia, and even your illustrated journalism project in 2016, exploring water issues in Malaysia. Um, do you feel like, based on these experiences, that you know, art is its own form of activism and protest. Oh, there's, <laughs> there, there's, there's so many responses to this. I think I, mm, the short answer is no, I, I, I don't. Yeah, uh, like art, I like bringing art to a protest because that's what I do. I mean, that's my form of expression, I suppose. I like dressing up for the protest. I like uh bringing a kind of um, I, I, I like bringing an aesthetic to the pros to the to a protest if I if I attend the protest and also um apart from that uh art is my way of thinking through the 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 modes of protest so the methods and also the meaning of them uh, so not just going, but I also think very deeply about what it means for these protests to happen, and also my my experience in them. And I try to I try to think through that, and my art is has been a way to, to do that for me. Um, so, for example, with the Bursay protest, I mean that was really. I mean, I, I call Bursay circa two thousand. Uh, uh, 2010, 2011, and Occupy Dataran. Uh, th this was kind of my political awakening. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, bef before it, it was, it was like, I, I'm, I'm interested in the national conversation in issues such as censorship, like books. And I mean, in 2007, I, I did a whole exhibition about. Uh, book banning in Malaysia, um, but this but Bursay was really was a turning point, you know, in terms of a deeper understanding about uh, not not just it's not just on the issue level, but where I stand as an artist and as a citizen in these things. Um, so participating in Bursay, I mean, it was very contradictory for me because because uh, I, I felt swept up in the energy of that protest. I mean, that, that was, that, I mean, I, I was tear gas for the first time. That was my first taste of it. And, and my first taste of, um, of uh, being alongside other people experiencing that kind of, oh, it's like that kind of elation, that kind of, uh, it's beautiful. That spirit is beautiful, but also there were there were there were also many contradictions because uh, of um, the how how it was organized, how Bursi was was organized uh, in a top down way, but the message that we were being told was that it's a bottom up movement, it's a people's movement. Um, I I suppose it's a people's movement in the sense that we showed up when we were told to, 
you know but uh what i what what i got from the busy protest was this experience of a collective spirit and that is not it is extremely extremely powerful yeah yeah and uh, it's quite spontaneous really and that's why it's frightening to people in power on both on all on 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 all all sides of the political spectrum it's uh it's it almost has an agency of its own and there will be many people who try to control that and say that they are the ones responsible for it but it's like a river i mean that's my experience of it anyway and uh when you know rivers they have high they have high and low tides so when it rains it's a torrent right i mean it comes down hard from the mountains and uh nobody can really control that so for us i think as a people we should not believe the lie that this power was not generated by ourselves that this power was was somehow um orchestrated by 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 those on the top you know be they activists be they uh, celebrities no it's we we create we create it yeah i believe that because i felt it and i observed it and uh so in my work i tried to explore that i mean i tried to um i did a, a participatory performance called mandi bunga at Singapore Biennale in 2013. So this was a direct response of being in the Bursi protest. Um I invited about 100 people to take uh, to mandi bunga together, uh, meaning take a flower bath together. To so you know that act of uh, cleansing the individual spirit. Now what does that mean when we do it on a collective level? It was um trying to explore this this uh this kind of collectivity you know uh togetherness um where where like you sort of give people uh we sort of have we we sort of have uh, a rough idea what we're going to do together but when we are there together in the space so we've gathered there now we got to figure it out and it's 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 step by step you know it's day by day hour by hour we 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 need to train ourselves to 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 be okay with that that we can figure it out that we we don't we don't need the the big plan yeah because that's that's very important to realize that uh we we can trust each other uh we can figure things out <laughs> in a protest space or in any space Yeah, we don't need to wait. Uh there's I there's I mean in terms of hierarchies, right? Like hierarchy organization is important. And hierarchies are important, but these hierarchies can change in the moment. So there's this idea of uh, dynamic insubordination. In fact, uh special military forces are the ones who practice this the most so that should tell us something <laughs> and it's about uh um in a group there are various there are people who have various uh skills and knowledge that others don't have and let's say you're walking in the jungle there are some people who know the jungle 
So they're gonna take the lead. They're gonna take the the they're gonna take charge from everybody because it's not efficient to uh, ask for consensus in that situation when you need to get through to the jungle, uh, get get through the jungle. Uh, so, but then once you're out of there, like this person doesn't have to. I mean, it the that that sort of power of command or or power of organizing goes over to somebody else. So that's the idea of dynamic insubordination. Like who's a who's a subordinate changes according to the situation. So like doesn't that sound like something so resilient? You know? Um, when you're facing a crisis like COVID for example, now now you have the now now the nurse knows more than you do or now the local person um, uh, in in their neighborhood, they know they 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 found out that their neighbors uh, don't want to take the vaccine, and this is literally happening. I mean, <laughs> this is happening in politics. And now the question is why? We don't know why. The 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 politicians uh, don't know why. So if they don't know why people don't want to take the vaccine, how can they address this problem? That's that's what I I, I think the challenge is immense actually. Yeah. But but there are. There, there are ways, there are ways to, to, to face them. And how do you measure the impact or the success? I mean, would you, would you look at a work like yours, like Mandi Bunga, do you, after you have done it, do you think about whether it's successful? Is there a, a metric or a way in which you, you look back at that work and, and you decide for yourself if it's been successful? Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it, it, it's definitely a lot by by feeling, yeah. Because there's a lot that uh, there's a lot of planning, but there's a lot that also I I I I let go of because it involves so many other people, not just the participants, uh, but also uh, the people working on the project with me. You know, like in terms of logistics and stuff like that. My measure of success is the internal meaning <laughs> of the thing that we did. So, so for example, I'll, I think it's 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 easier to to give an example. So, with Mandi Bunga, um, the we actually did a series of workshops together uh, as participants. So, the particip- there were a hundred people, and uh, in a series of workshops, um, they. I, I asked them to decorate a, a sarong that they would they were gonna wear during the performance. So, uh, um, and uh, on the final performance, which only lasted ten minutes, really. So you know that ten minutes is the most visu- vi- uh, visible part of the project. But actually, what is really important is those two weeks doing those workshops. I did about I did like 13 workshops um, and uh, it's there that you you form the kind of connections that determine what's going to go on in those short 10 minutes yeah and so uh, on on the performance day uh, it looked the weather looked really cloudy <laughs> so I think it was I mean uh, and people were, were very nervous because they kept asking me um, what what will we do if it rains what will we do if it rains and uh, my first 
impulse was to go like, okay, uh, I have a plan B. I've talked it out with my team. This is what we're going to do. Da, 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 da. But it, by, by on that day, we, we hadn't actually discussed a plan B, honestly. Um, and uh, I, I caught myself and I, and, I, and, and I said like, you know what? If it rains, we'll have a discussion, okay? And we will figure out what to do together. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think um, the, the measure of success for me is, is really that, it's the relationships. I know that there are things that, the sort of visible achievement of uh, the original plan is also quite important. I know that for everybody. Uh, but for me, it's, it's this, um, this, this looseness, uh, yeah, the ability to be, to, to be okay with um, uncertainties when we're doing like a big thing together to maintain the sense of like a bit chill, you know? Now that's, 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 that's a big deal for me. Yeah, where we are not sort of saying anything goes, but we're saying we're okay. We're okay together, not really knowing. Uh, we, we sort of done a little bit of prep, uh, but not too much. <laughs> So uh, there's this energy about it. Yeah, that's what I aim for, actually. And, and what do you think makes a, a work of political art or protest art successful in general? Like beyond your own work, what do you, if you've seen other artists who do make political art, what do you think makes, makes some of that work successful to you? Uh, okay, my, my, my answer for, for this is, I guess, going to be, I don't know, not, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, um, I think any work uh, of art is about care, is about care uh, uh, for the people around you together. Yeah. So if you do something, if like you you do a big gesture, uh, how's it going to affect everybody else? Yeah. If you're doing it sort of on your own, kind of like a hero, I mean, the the it's still it's it, uh you you're never really alone, is the thing. Yeah. So my measure of like good political art, which I don't think exists, I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, is uh, did it breed collectivity and different kinds of collectivity. Yeah. So what, what kind of collectivity uh, was birthed from those actions? Yeah. And, and also, who did you harm? Yep. <laughs> who did you harm? Yeah. Yeah, and I think if if um, you know if for you there is no such thing as political art, oh, no such thing as good good political, good political art. Okay, okay, I'm glad to get that clear. Okay, so there's no, um, but do you think then? And I I think you do think that based on like the things you were saying earlier, that art does have the potential to influence politics, and yeah, would you like? Could you speak on that a little bit? Do you think that if perhaps there's no good political art? is there the potential for art to influence politics? When we say politics, I suppose it, it means 
like politics of politics of this like parliamentary politics. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, I I, I guess yeah. In this in this context, I'm asking about yeah the parliamentary politics or or party politics. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, I think it's important to 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 sort of to define that because. Uh, um, in that sense, then then we can we can really be specific about the the kind of pressure points uh, that influence these kind of politics, and party politics are 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 has has very much to do with visibility, with propaganda, and uh, messaging. The, these are the spaces in which I I, I call it the lifeblood basically, of party politics, messaging. And uh, in as much as the media can influence politics, our politics, in this sense, uh, satire, propaganda, uh, art, these, these things uh, influence in, in that same way, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a tweet might do as much or more than uh, than a poster. A tweet of a poster. Now that <laughs> I mean now 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 that that you you know it could be even more effective. But that that's the space in which uh, we are we are we are working with, I believe. And I think you know earlier we started talking about how you're interested in not just satire but a diversity of of art and in challenging the the status quo. So yeah, what do you think are some of the effective tools in that an artist may have to challenge the powerful in Malaysia or even Southeast Asia? It's it's definitely attention. I mean one thing is attention, I guess. People love art, people love anything to do with art, anything to do with beauty. If you can draw People love that, you know, um, uh, and there's a reason for that as well. Um, so, I mean, commanding attention, uh, yeah, that's one one of the things you have at your disposal as an artist. But you know, <laughs> uh, I always think about like Bozizi. Uh, uh, the, the fruit seller in Tunisia who is said to have lit the match of the entire Arab Spring that spread around the world. And uh, he, what he did was um, set himself on fire. So you don't have to be an artist, and it's often not the artist and the intellectual, sorry to say. I mean, our, our role is a different role. Uh, but Anybody at any time can decide uh, to stand up to power. It's simple human courage. Yeah. And uh, that is certainly not the only province of artists and activists. I, I think the best thing that artists can do is like is is pay attention. You, you, you really need to pay attention to what's going on so that you can have thoughts and feelings about it 
that's that's what I believe is the work of artists. Uh, and you need to pay attention to everything and everybody around you, not just what's on your screen, not just what's in the headlines. Yeah. And that is extremely big challenge today is to really, really pay attention because as an artist, you get to decide what's important to you, you know? And through your work, that also determines what's important to the culture, to your culture. So that's what I think the work of artists is. Pay attention. And one last thing before we go, what do you hope to see more of from Malaysian artists when it comes to activism and art, or even just, as you, as you said, this role of paying attention? I would like us to talk more with each other, just on a peer-to-peer level. Uh, I think that that is hard because the system that we are in, in encourages us to be in competition with each other. Uh, so we, we don't, there, there, there isn't the sense of, uh, we need to build camaraderie. Yeah, we need to find each other, basically, and have those conversations uh, to exchange thoughts and spirit and matter just like things, you know, the non-humans do, the non-human species do, I'm sorry, like the plants with the insects and the animals. Uh, that's really what we need to build up our culture so that it's resilient, it's strong, and it expresses a strong spirit. Uh, and we really need that because that's what's going to bring us forward, you know? Yeah, just to find each other. Mm. Um, that's all we have for today. Thank you for joining me on the show today, Sharon. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, it's been so good talking with you, Deborah. Thank you so much. Our thanks to Sharon for joining us on this week's episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches. Next week, be sure to tune in to New Narrative's Political Agenda, our podcast series on current affairs in Singapore. This is Deborah wishing all our listeners a great week ahead. Jumpa lagi!